So, in between euphemisms for vor porn and coming up with sexting typos last week, I briefly touched on the distribution of Paris Hilton's sex tape and mentioned that she'd been very explicit about its release to the public as being an extremely traumatizing moment in her life. Now, if you, like me, were a teen in the 2000s, then you probably have some sort of residual opinion on Paris Hilton. She was everywhere, from luxe magazines to trash tabloids. She was on TV screens, in movies, on billboards. The catch cry at the time was that Paris was famous for doing nothing, partially one can assume because no one really knew what it was she was doing. Either way, it was socially acceptable and even expected to viciously loathe her for being a slut, an airhead, and an entitled brat. Choose your flavour, or combine all three for an extra special dose of self-righteousness. Anyway, while I was thinking about her tape, I got sidetracked watching the documentary that came out at the end of last year called This Is Paris. It starts off as a fairly standard celebrity documentary about how busy she is all the time, before taking a hard left turn to kind of tackle some of the difficulties that Paris has overcome in her life, including the infamous sex tape and her time at a hyper-religious reform school for troubled teens, where she suffered significant emotional and physical abuse. Watching it, one of the things that really struck me was Paris's discussion of the sex tape, where she says, that wouldn't have happened now. And she's right. Paris Hilton's sex tape was leaked by a boyfriend who was then a monumental dick about it on every conceivable talk show circuit. And rather than being horrified, everyone was like, hmm, this timing seems strangely convenient and she does seem like a slut. We just kind of carried on living our lives and her skeezy older boyfriend just kept living his life. Revenge porn laws weren't even a twinkle in lawmakers' eyes, so we did nothing except make Paris feel bad about it. It was so kind of uncomfortable to think about that I thought I might as well inflict my own discomfort on everyone else. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about Paris Hilton. Misogyny is a hell of a drug, and people were mainlining it from, like, 2000 to 2011. Hoo boy. Here's an abridged list of reasons we hated female celebrities in the early 2000s. Uh, Skirt was short and got drunk at a party. Uh, Was abused by their boyfriend. Had nipple non-consensually exposed during public broadcast. Uh, Experienced emotional turmoil and shaved own head. Uh, Was very visible. That's an important one. We can't like them if they're too visible. (laughs) Uh, I think when you're kind of in the thick of it, it's hard to tell if the world is getting any better. Like, I turn on the news and everything's terrible and I'm just like, Hello darkness, my old friend. This is why I don't sing on this podcast. (laughs) But then I take some time to revisit 2000s headlines and I think, Huh, perhaps some things have improved. I think I mentioned sometime last season when I was talking about Megan Fox in Jennifer's Body that it was kind of hard to describe how ubiquitous Fox was and how much everyone hated her. I think Paris Hilton is the same story but launched like 10 years earlier and at warp speed. Paris Hilton was in every single magazine alongside pages and pages of editorially endorsed pseudoscience blaming her for the dumbing down of culture at large and teenage girls specifically, 
and suggesting that through virtue of existence alone, she was single-handedly destroying humanity's hope for the future. Now, obviously, 20 years have passed and a Paris Hilton-shaped meteor hasn't wiped all art and culture off the face of the earth yet, so I think that it's fair to say we were wrong. A lot has changed since the early to mid-2000s, though. For one thing, you have significantly less articles calling grown women sluts now. Uh, Those haven't totally been eliminated, but they're definitely not every second page anymore, which is kind of nice. If you haven't kept up with celebrity news with the same tenacity as you did when you were a teenager, I wouldn't even really blame you if your opinion of Paris hadn't changed significantly since the early 2000s. She's much less everywhere than she was, and so you might have had less of a chance to kind of reevaluate the way that you feel about her in 2021. But the world has changed, and I think so too has our view of Paris. Or at least it should. Now, I obviously don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on the be nice to rich people train, (laughs) because that's not really who I am as a person. But I am interested in the way that we view someone like Paris Hilton, who was so vilified, but also formed such a significant cultural moment that's had a really long-lasting impact on social media, technology, and what it means to be a contemporary celebrity. I think Paris has not only earned the right to have her life and career revisited, but more than that, after years of being called everything under the sun and strung up for our entertainment, I think we owe her one. Let's get into it, shall we? It's a little bit strange talking about Paris from the perspective of a market saturated with social media celebrities whose fame is entirely born of their personal brand. We kind of accept influencers as par for the course now, but there was a time when the socially accepted definition of celebrity meant that you were an actor, a model, a musician, something publicly visible with like a verifiable output that extended beyond you just living your life. Then came Paris Hilton, heiress and nightclub party girl. She'd been fluttering around the New York club scene since the late, late 90s and had become such a fixture who was so popular with the tabloid press that clubs started paying her to grace their doors. A Vanity Fair article featuring photographs by David LaChapelle further cemented her notoriety, and eventually she was offered The Simple Life, a show that hinged on the premise of Paris Hilton and BFF and fellow rich person Nicole Ritchie moving to Arkansas to work on a farm. Three days before the show was set to hit the airwaves, Hilton's sex tape was leaked. The Simple Life was an overnight success, debuting to 13 million people. The show introduced the world to Paris Hilton as like a spoiled, airhead blonde who spoke in a ditzy baby voice and asked if Walmart sold walls. Looking at it now, it seems like such an obvious bit. Like, I didn't watch the show when it aired, but I revisited a couple of clips, and the premise is to accentuate how out of touch these wealthy girls are in comparison to hardworking, salt-of-the-earth country folk. What better way to do that than to have two people willfully misunderstand the world around them? There's like a whole extended scene where Paris fails to put a ute in reverse to the point of the engine overheating and, like, catching fire. (laughs) This woman definitely knows how to drive a car. She definitely knows how to put a car in reverse. It's such an obvious play for comic value that delivers so consistently that it's really hard to understand how anyone ever thought it could be anything else. 
but boy, did we. <laughs> the world was primed for a new villain, basically. The combination of seemingly overnight success in a show deemed to be utterly vapid and the release of the sex tape pretty much called open season on Paris. People accused her of leaking her own sex tape in order to give the simple life its ratings jump start. And when she objected to those claims, rather than taking her word for it that she didn't want the details of her sex life to be public, they interviewed her ex-boyfriend and lampooned her for being so self-obsessed that she would adjust the camera in the middle of her home video moment. Hit pieces went out in every tabloid, accusing her of being a vapid airhead. Newsweek even ran a story in 2007 about the fact that the long-term media fascination with Paris and her raunchy lifestyle was running the risk of turning young girls into oversexed, underdressed sluts. Although, to be fair, the term sluts is never actually used. They just kind of make a moral call on what the worst possible outcome for a teen girl could be. Um... It's unmarried sex workers, in case you were wondering what morality looked like in 2007. Her version of femininity was seen as manipulative pandering. The press and public couldn't accept the obvious gag of her baby-voiced public persona because it was, as described by Paris, useful for getting what she wanted. The femininity she used to assert her agency was used to crystallise her public image as stupid, spoiled, and vain. Hilton became this, like, slutty Pied Piper leading young women off a cliff. In reading a lot of contemporaneous articles on Paris's rise to fame, it's really interesting to see both academics and journalists dance really close to the idea of an influencer as we know them now, but never quite make that leap. The world had seen some version of Paris before, like It Girls existed, uh, Edie Sedgwick in the 60s is a good example, uh, Chloe Sevigny in the 90s and noughties. Socialites had existed. Jackie O is a really good American example. Even people who were famous for being famous had come before. Uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor springs to mind, uh, because even though she was ostensibly an actress, her enduring legacy was her ability to cause a scene. She was married nine times and was a goldmine of quotable zingers for the press who followed her around. It was Jaja who said, I'm a marvellous housekeeper. Every time I leave a man, I keep his house. Interestingly enough, she was also briefly married to Paris's great-grandfather, Conrad Hilton Sr. Uh, so maybe some of that ability to cause a scene is genetic, who could say. Anyway, no one had ever really seen anyone parlay that notoriety into like a viable career that didn't involve doing something else, like acting or modelling. Paris was paid to simply be... <laughs> So desperate were we to understand our own obsession that there are pages and pages of newsprint trying to conflate the concept of an it girl with the kind of media frenzy that erupted wherever Paris went and the kind of sway or, dare we say it, influence uh, she had over consumers and the general public. My favourite quote was from an article from Minette Hillier published in 2010 one year after the supposed heyday of Paris Hilton. Uh, it says, Paris Hilton's brand rides on her license to simply be in the public eye, to be in her body, to be visible. Paris was selling her personality, but more importantly, that personality was monetizable because it was translatable to influence. People were paying her to wear clothes and show up to nightclubs. 
Paris's orbit became a scene that she could take anywhere for a fee. Friend and former Paris Hilton personal assistant Kim Kardashian West, arguably the ultimate influencer right now, she acknowledges that Paris essentially gave her a career. (laughs) Here's a quote. Uh, She says, She really started that movement of having paparazzi follow your every move. The best advice she ever gave me was just watching her. Paris Hilton effectively provided the blueprint for influencers pre-social media. Something about this new concept of an influencer really ignited like a kind of moral panic, and I was trying to think about what it could be that whipped up such fury. Paris's apparent immunity to criticism probably didn't help. The more outrage her behavior sparked, the harder she seemed to just like lean into it. Press says your jeans are too low, pull your thong higher. Thong too visible? Lose your undies altogether. The idea seemed to be that we, the impressionable uh, young female public, of which I was a part, would emulate Paris's behavior, even the most outrageous bits of it, and ultimately dumb ourselves down in the process. But the idea of monetizing yourself still wasn't an option for us plebs in the early 2000s. And to be honest, the fashion industry, and Supre specifically, <laughs> bears the entire responsibility for the fact that my undies were on display in 2003 because you couldn't buy high-waisted jeans anywhere. They didn't exist. So I don't think the panic in the eyes of the press and the parents was entirely to do with so-called raunchy behavior. I actually think some of it's down to the fact that Paris really represented a change in the way that we interact with and relate to technology. See, beyond the pink velour tracksuits and the tiny dog, Paris was never seen without her phone. Originally, it was like a Motorola Razr flip phone blinged out with like pink stick-on crystals, complete with a built-in camera. But the one that eventually became iconic was the BlackBerry who at the time were pioneering the smartphone, complete with the built-in camera and internet connectivity. One of the accusations consistently leveled at Paris and the young girls who were following her every move was that they were succumbing to vanity. I think because Paris had taken the built-in camera aspect of her phone and pointed it at herself. Now, there's been some fairly condescending debate about whether or not Paris invented the selfie in a technical sense. Uh, She did not. Human beings invented cameras and we immediately started trying to work out ways to jump in front of them because we love to look at ourselves. Um, But she did spearhead the way that we interpret those types of photographs. Paris had taken the phone, which we had previously considered to be somewhat utilitarian in its function, and made the camera a form of self-documentation that was portable, private, and connected. What's more, she was turning it into part of her personal brand, moving the scene she was making and the trend she was setting from the real world to something digital. When the paparazzi weren't there to document, she could DIY, and when they were there, she could turn the camera on herself and them in a kind of fun game, documenting the documentation. That parents would be afraid of this shift kind of makes sense. It was framed as disgust at the apparent narcissism that was inherent in selfie-taking behavior and a kind of fear that the practice was somehow sexualizing. Why do these kids love to look at themselves so much? Why are they pulling these faces? Why are they trying to make themselves look more grown up? Don't they know there are predators online and in the world? 
curse Paris and her endless influence over our poor, simple girls who've never even been in trouble prior to this point. I think what it actually reveals is a sudden lack of control. Like I said, phones are portable and private and connected. If we're suddenly moving beyond their purely utilitarian function of making a call or texting a friend toward something that involves documenting your face or your body or your friends and relationships and the fun that you're having, then it also becomes yet another realm for kind of teens to keep secrets. And because it's also behaviour steeped in mystery for parents, the fear becomes amplified. Now, based on what I can see from the This Is Paris documentary, Paris is a bit of a tech head. She shows off this really expansive collection of technology from like the early 2000s onwards. Uh, She updates her laptop every time she goes through a breakup because the men she dates tend to steal her passwords if you ever needed a more damning indictment of rich men, I guess. It's pretty apparent, though, from the documentary that Paris loves gadgets. She told Vice in 2015 that she travels with her own personal server, and from 2018 she's been working on building a VR experience that would allow fans to watch her DJ set from the comfort of their own home. If anyone was going to see the potential of a piece of technology and fundamentally alter our relationship with it, it would probably be Paris Hilton. While she was ultimately using the rapidly advancing technology around her, to kind of further cement an image and solidify her job, she was also introducing a whole generation to the idea of an extremely personal and intimate relationship with technology that would lay the groundwork for later advancements, particularly in the social media space. Given that people were so angry at Paris's entire existence for about a decade, you would think that she might have faded into obscurity. Not the case. When I say that Paris Hilton managed to turn her notoriety into a career, it's not an exaggeration. She has a line of perfumes, which have done about $3 billion in sales. She has 19 product lines, 50 boutiques worldwide, uh, a club resort in Manila. She was also the highest paid female DJ in 2014. Uh, She's got residencies in Ibiza um, and she continues to play music festivals, or she did pre-COVID-19. Um, Essentially, she's managed to turn her name into a business and the business into a goldmine, which is not bad for a woman everyone was clamoring to write off as profoundly stupid and spoiled. I think ultimately when we think about Paris, we're forced to reckon with the type of misogyny that permeated most mainstream media outlets throughout the 2000s. We were so desperate to hate her that we were totally unable to accept the winks and the nods that were thrown our way throughout her career. And in spite of that vitriol, she's not only thrived, but essentially became a blueprint for the influencer. I'm not ready to give up Eat the Rich as a personal slogan, but I am big enough to admit that we collectively owe Paris an apology. Well, uh, those were my Paris Hilton thoughts. Uh, While we're here, we definitely also owe Brittany an apology too. Uh, She copped the same amount of flack as Paris, especially when they hung out together, and her very public breakdown basically just became a meme. Who would have thought Chris Crocker was right? 
I'm possibly aging myself here. Um, Chris Crocker was the leave Britney alone guy. We all remember him, right? He does gay porn now. Uh, wild. <laughs> You're welcome for that info. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on why Paris Hilton's 2006 hit Stars Are Blind is actually the peak of music, talk to me about it next time you see me in the pub. Peace. Peace.